This message was presented at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Welcome to a missionary's best friend. Um, I'm so glad to see everybody here. You guys ready? Okay, all right. Let's uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer together. Hey, Philip. Hey, sneak in here like that. Good to see you, Pastor. All right, let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for being with us today. God, you've taught us a lot of things. We've had a lot of practical ideas come our way, and we want to ask, Lord, that you'll show us what the next step is when we leave here. It's okay, we just, but help us to act within the next 48 hours so we don't lose all that we've learned and, and forget it. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right. Um, Holy Spirit is what we're going to talk about, a missionary's best friend, all right? Um, probably one of the most important topics that we could discuss on this issue, and that is the Holy Spirit. Remember, before Jesus gave the vision, he gave the provision. Remember that? And ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So one of my favorite stories is a story about a girl who is always praising God for everything. Do you know anybody like that? That's just always praising God for everything. Um, so this girl would do that no matter what was going on in her life. And she had an atheist friend that decided to play a trick on her. So this atheist friend went, bought her a bunch of groceries because she knew, he knew she, was, she didn't have a lot of money, put the groceries outside of her door, knocked on the door, and then hid in the, in the bushes. And when the woman comes out or the girl comes out and sees all the, all the groceries and stuff, what do you think she did? She said, praise the Lord. And <laughs> she started praising God, right? Well, when she did that, her atheist friend jumped out from behind the bush and said, ha, God didn't give you that stuff. I did. And the woman did not miss a beat. She goes, thank you, Jesus, for buying me all this food, and thank you for making the devil pay for it. Anyway, um, so I don't know about you, but I think it's time for the devil to pay for it. What do you think? Um, and we've been doing things for so long in the flesh. We've been trusting in men, money, and methods, and all we're really ever doing is teasing the devil. The real power comes from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We, we, we know about the first baptism, and you remember I talked about this to you yesterday or today. There's one baptism for membership, but there's a second baptism for ministry and power and ministry. And the devil is scared to death that you'll learn that. If you want to pay back, if you want the devil to freak out when your feet hit the ground in the morning, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because he's not afraid of you, but he's afraid of what? Jesus in you. Never forget that. Christ actually will dwell inside your body and speak through you and talk through you and move through you. Amen? It's pretty amazing, and that's what frightens the devil, is that that would happen in your life. Um, so I want to talk about this really quickly. Hopefully this thing will work for me. I don't know. I've had bad luck today with this. Um, maybe it's not even plugged in. Let's see. Yeah, it's not. Here we go. So... I want to share with you just a couple verses right here. This is what Ellen White herself says. Ellen White actually says that Satan, or uh, the Holy Spirit is Satan's worst nightmare. Let's read this together. Ready? There is nothing that Satan fears so much is that the people of God shall clear the way by what? Removing every hindrance so the Lord can pour out his spirit upon a languishing church and a what? And that's in Selected Messages, page 124. So the devil is afraid of nothing more than what? that you get filled with the Holy Spirit. He's, he's very scared of this. This is why you hear people talk about the Holy Spirit. They just never receive the Holy Spirit. 
This is why you have people saying the Holy Spirit is just an it or a force. The devil's doing whatever he can. And other people are like, oh, you can't receive the Holy Spirit. That would make you Pentecostal or that would make you a fanatic. And the devil is so slandering the Holy Spirit that people are kind of like, I don't know if I want to get any close to the Holy Spirit. And yet the Holy Spirit is a gift. He's a gift given to the church to empower the church to move forward and finish God's work. But the devil has really, really screwed things up. Can you give us some examples of how the Holy Spirit is being slandered around the world today and even in the church sometimes? Maybe not slandered, but maybe uh, discredited or ignored. And while you're thinking, could it be that we're treating Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit, the same way the Jews treated Jesus? Could it be? Is it possible that, right, they went to church on the right day, they worshiped God the Father, but they rejected God the Son. We go to church on the right day, worship God the Father, put our trust in Jesus Christ as a son, but have no interest in the Holy Spirit at all. And we wonder why we can't seem to move and finish the work. What do you think? What's that? Yeah, yeah, right. Correct. We hear a lot of that today, Philip, don't we? It's becoming very popular. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, a little bit more as well. And, and here's the verse right here, Acts 1.8. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and to what? The end. God is giving us the secret to finishing the work right there. Boom. Here's what you look like before you receive the Holy Spirit. And that's not a picture of me as a kid, okay? But that's what you look like to the devil before you receive the Holy Spirit, okay? That's what you look like after. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just wanted to show you. Here's what you look like before the Holy Spirit. That's what you look like after the Holy Spirit. Do you see the difference? I'm just playing with you guys. So, so it's very interesting the Bible has that word after. Can everybody say after? You've seen the before and after pictures. You've seen a lot of contrast in marketing is done by that. But the Bible actually does that in Acts chapter 1 and 8. It says, look, before you receive the Holy Spirit, you're only teasing the devil. After you receive the Holy Spirit, you're terrorizing him. Before you receive the Holy Spirit, you're normal. After you receive the Holy Spirit, you're paranormal. All right? That makes sense? So the, whole, the Bible's making it very clear that by the way, you can do witnessing before you receive the Holy Spirit, but you can't be a witness until after you receive the Holy Spirit. You can do it. You can go through the motions, but it's only after you receive the Holy Spirit that you're able to become a witness for God. Did you see that right there? And you shall be witnesses of me after. So let's look at these guys right here. Here's some good examples of people before and after. Uh, before uh, the Spirit came upon Samson, what would have happened to him when the lion attacked him? I don't care what kind of a bodybuilder, muscle guy, he would have been lion's food, right? But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon him and he tore a lion in half. Think about that. That must freak the devil out, that, that particular story. Because he's what? He's considered what? He's a lion. And, and the Bible's telling him very clearly that when my people get filled with the Holy Spirit, they're going to tear you in half. And so the devil just keeps us busy. You know, it keeps us busy doing all kinds of stuff instead of uh, really pressing closely to receive this wonderful gift that we've been promised that makes us become witnesses. What about Gideon? Remember Gideon? He was hiding in a cave, right? He was hiding in a cave, very scared. Was it the Midianites, I think it was, that were, was, that were stealing from the Israelites? 
But when the Spirit came upon him, he, he, he blew the trumpet and raised an army. So the Spirit of God right there as well. We know Saul as well. We know Peter. Remember Peter? He denied his Lord, right? He rejected Jesus right there. He, he denied that he knew him. That was before. But after the Spirit came upon him, what happened to Peter? Dude, he became bold and he began to proclaim. And he was willing to lay down his life, willing to die for the Lord. He became on fire for God. How about the early church? I spoke about this last, uh, at the last session. You remember there were, 500, there were 500 believers there to see Jesus ascend into heaven. But right before Pentecost, we noticed that they had dropped down to 150. The church was already a declining church, only in a few days. But after the Holy Spirit came upon them, in one day they grew what? They grew, what, how many, what, four or five times more than they were at the, ascent, at the ascension of Jesus. They exploded after, not before, after. This is why when Paul went to the church in Ephesus, the first thing he did as the pastor in Ephesus for the little time he was there was he asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit? He wanted to know what he was dealing with. Are these supernatural Christians or are these just normal human Christians? And if they're just normal, I want them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So that's why in Acts chapter 19, he asked that question, are you baptized with the Holy Spirit? It's very interesting. What we desperately need in our church today, what will scare the devil to death, is GYC young people filled with the Holy Spirit. Seventh-day Adventist young people filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, That's what he's afraid of. And he'll do whatever he can to keep that from happening. Okay? That's his goal. But Jesus, Jesus sought the Holy Spirit every single day. Do you know that? Jesus functioned in the same power that you and I can function in. Now, here's a very powerful quote. This might be one of the most powerful quotes in all of Ellen White's writings. And I'm, maybe I'm exaggerating there, but it's a very powerful quote. It's found in Desire of Ages, page 363. I love this. All right? This is really good, Sean. Listen to this. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. In Christ, the cry of humanity reached the Father of infinite pity. As a man, he supplicated the throne of God till... Everybody say till. Till... till His humanity was charged with a heavenly current that should connect humanity with divinity. Through continual communion, he received life from God that he might impart life to the world. His experience is to be ours. Now, if those last few words were not in there, we could easily say, yeah, well, of course, Jesus got supernatural power every morning when he prayed. Then she says, she lowers the boom, His experience is to be ours. Every single one of us can grasp hold of divine power. Not that we become divine. Don't misunderstand me. But that we can receive power from the indwelling Christ, a baptism of the Holy Spirit upon us. We can become supernatural Christians. And the devil's frightened that you'll become a supernatural Christian. People ask me sometimes, say sometimes, and maybe you've heard them say this to you as well, Christianity is so hard. Being a Christian is so hard today. And I would say to you that that's not true. Christianity is impossible. It's impossible. Unless you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So Christianity is not hard. It's impossible. Unless you receive the Holy Spirit, then you have supernatural power and you can live a holy life for God. Amen? Uh, I want to show you something really powerful here. A lot of people wonder, well, how how could Jesus be so good? How did he do that? Well, let's take a look at this really quickly. Um, Jesus had what functioned in the same power, what? That we can have, right? What does the Bible say in Acts chapter 10? In Acts chapter 10, 
Verse 38. What does the Bible say was the secret to the, the, the holy and godly life that Jesus Christ lived? What's the secret? Let's look at this really quick. This is powerful. Um, Acts chapter 10, verse 38 says what? Somebody read it for us. And I'm going to read this out loud so those listening right now can hear it too. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So where did Jesus, what was the source of Christ's power? The Holy Spirit. Look at that. It's right there. Who went about, and what was the effect of the Holy Spirit being upon Jesus? He went about what? Doing good. What else? And healing all who were oppressed of the devil for what? God was with him. So what was the secret to the good life that Jesus lived and the supernatural powers that he had and the wonders that he was able to do? Holy Ghost. And she just said his experience is to be ours. That is pretty cool. So Christianity, you can live the Christian life, but it must be done supernaturally. We must walk in the Spirit. We must be filled with the Spirit and must walk in the Spirit. How often did Jesus get filled with the Holy Spirit? Every single day. Do you guys know what a divine alarm clock is? It's when God wakes you up in the morning. Have you ever had that happen before? If you ask him, he'll actually wake you up in the morning. And there's times when God frustrates me with that. I, I, I would love to be with him, but two in the morning, God, really? But, or four in the morning, please, really? But then I find there's a reason for that. He always wakes me up so I have just enough time to be filled with what I need. And if you want to be, you can become filled with the Holy Spirit daily. You can go about doing good and healing in Jesus' name. I believe this. I've seen incredible miracles done through those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Laying hands on people, praying for people in Jesus' name. By the way, can I tell you the honest truth? Jesus is actually alive. He's not dead. Did you know that? <laughs> but why is it that we live like he's dead? We, live, we walk around like we're like the victims. We're not. We're victors. He won. We're, we're waiting for the second coming of Jesus. We have all the power in heaven and earth. And we, we play defense instead of offense. By the way, the Bible says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against him. What does that mean? That means that the devil is on defense. God's people are on offense. He's supposed to be the one running, not us. But if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, then we have no power. Remember, the devil's not afraid of you. He's afraid of what? Aha. Okay. So... There's a lot of question on who the Holy Spirit is, and I'm not going to stand up here right now and tell you I understand everything about the Holy Spirit, okay? But then again, I don't understand everything about electricity, but I'm still going to turn the lights on. I don't understand it. I don't understand everything about the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I probably never will, even in all eternity, because I believe that he is a divine being. And you can be filled with a divine being. Come on. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Think about it. Do you feel by the Lord? Um, do you know that through the Holy Spirit, you can actually be closer to God than the disciples were. Because he'll actually dwell in you. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus. So this means that when, you, when, when the Spirit dwells in you, you have uh, the attributes and the abilities of Christ. By the way, I can give you theological terms for those. You know what the abilities of Christ are? We call them spiritual gifts. Right? The attributes of Jesus, what do we call those? The fruits of the Spirit, right? So we actually get filled with Christ in our lives. Um, I love the fact that, that the Holy Spirit is not from Star Wars. 
You know, I think a lot of people want the Holy Spirit to be a force, not a person, because then they can manipulate him. Because you can sit around and tell the Holy Spirit what you want him to do. But that's not the way it works. And, in fact, I would say that the entire book of Acts is proof that the Holy Spirit is an actual person. If you read that book, you see that the Holy Spirit directs and guides the church. And some of you know this. Many people actually say that book was, should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, not the Apostles. It was the Holy Spirit working through the Apostles. But it's the Holy Spirit working mightily. It's very exciting. In fact, did you know that in John, between John 14 and John 16, I believe it is, um, Jesus uses a personal pronoun to describe the Holy Spirit? So if anybody tells you the Holy Spirit is not a person, he's a force, you can say, hey, you have a right to believe whatever you want to. I'm just choosing to believe what Jesus wants me to believe, what Jesus says. And just remember that. Throw yourself at the mercy of Jesus. Amen? Go with his words. We don't understand everything about the Holy Spirit. That's true. But if you have to know Greek and Hebrew to understand the Holy Spirit, then there's something not quite right, all right? Jesus was plain about it as a person. And I believe that God, Jesus, when he went to heaven, he did not leave us with a force from Star Wars. He left us with a divine person. You're not an orphan. You're not alone. There's a being that loves you and knows what's going on in your intimate soul, in your, in your, inside your body. He knows everything about you. Philip. Oh, do you have a thought? It's a good question. I want to answer that, but I also want to throw it back at you guys because I think it's really good. What's going on? How come we're not, we're not receiving the Spirit like, like we should and like it's being offered to us? What's going on? Lack of faith. We don't believe it. Okay. Okay. There's another Netflix film coming up, another video game that we need to conquer. Okay, movies like Star Wars. <laughs> good point, good point. There's a lot of distractions. The devil knows that it won't take very long. The Holy Spirit will fall upon the church in not many days. That's what Jesus said. Not many days you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, well, at Pentecost it already happens. The Holy Spirit's already here, so we don't need to do that anymore. The only problem with that is we find several Pentecosts throughout the book of Acts. So if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you can. You can have a revival, and you're not many days away from it. Not many days away from it. To answer uh, Pastor Phillips' question is, I have seen uh, mighty things happen when young people get together in one accord and they pray. And they ask God to fulfill his promise and they meet together. And, and that's when things happen. Uh, but, I, but I must be honest with you, it's very rare to see it. But when it happens, it can light up the world. Uh, how many of you have ever heard of uh, Evan Roberts? Anybody heard of Evan Roberts? Evan Roberts was a 26-year-old man, young, young guy, living in the turn of the century in uh, Wells, or uh, well, the, the Wells, uh, Wales people, Wales people. And you remember, he began to pray that God would fill him with the Holy Spirit and would fill his country and his church with the Holy Spirit. He began to pray. He didn't wait for everybody else to change. He started asking that he would be changed. And this is another problem that I see, Philip, and I would, I would say that this would be one of our biggest problems is we're always complaining about the fact that the pastor hasn't changed. Or the members in the church are bad. Or this person or that person needs to change. And then we could have revival. But the reality is revival will only happen when you change. It's got to start with you because then you become contagious. And this guy, uh, Evan Roberts, began to pray. 
He wasn't back, back uh, talking anybody else. He was saying, I am dead. I need to become alive. And he began to pray. And some amazing, one of the greatest revivals in history took place uh, right there in that country um, in about 13 years of praying. By the way, he prayed for a long time to be filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God began to fall on young people, especially his young friends, his young adult friends. And in fact, um, they began to... Uh, feel a real call to prophesy. By the way, did you know, let me show you something really quickly. Did you know the Holy Spirit doesn't matter, doesn't care which gender you are? Did you know that? Did you know that? <laughs> he doesn't care which gender you are, amen? He doesn't care how rich you are. He doesn't care how uh, old you are or how young you are. He doesn't care what your gender is. By the way, you can be baptized with the Holy Spirit no matter who you are and filled with power. I'm just going to prove it to you from the Bible, okay? Can I prove it to you? Okay, Acts 2. Acts 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 21. Or let's just look at Acts 16 and verse 17. All right? This is really cool. The baptism of the Holy Spirit does not depend on your age, your sex, or your status, or whatever else. Here it is right here. Let's look at this. Somebody read verse 16 and 17 for us. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, you know, um, that's why it really it really bothers me when um, either people say young people can't do great things for God, or the reverse happens. Now, old people no longer have a place in the church. We we go both ways, but the, the Holy Spirit's like, no, 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 no. I'll work through anybody, anybody who wants to be filled. I'll fill you, and I'll anoint you for the work that I have for you. Very interesting, isn't it? How the Holy Spirit works. So. He's not a force from Star Wars. He's an actual person, and he wants to fill you. Um, so why is the devil so scared? Because we just mentioned this already. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now watch what happens. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Pretty cool, huh? When you receive the Holy Spirit, you are actually receiving Jesus living in and through you. So the devil's not just afraid of you. He's not afraid of you. He's afraid of Christ living inside you. Um, Jesus scares Satan to death. Um, think of all the ways that the devil has defeated Jesus through the years. I mean, let's think of all the ways he defeated the devil. Share, share me some stories that you can think of how Jesus kicked the devil's butt many times. The cross. The cross. Yeah. What's that? The war in heaven. The war in heaven. Yep. Yes. Thank you. What's that? The Beatitudes, where he taught the truth of how to, how to live, okay. Remember he cast out demons with just a word? The devil is scared of Jesus. And here's the frightening thing for him. Now he doesn't just have to deal with Jesus. He has to deal with Jesus living in every single one of you. That is scary, and this is why he does not want you to understand the truth of the Holy Spirit. Um, I would really challenge you to make a commitment to study the book of Joel and study the book of Acts. Um, book of Joel and the book of Acts. There's also this wonderful book um, called Ten Days by Dennis Smith that is amazing uh, book on uh, the Holy Spirit and understanding the Holy Spirit. And by the way, it's free. Where would you go to download this book for free? I'm so t- sick of talking about it, but let's try it. Where would you go? Go. 
It's the best. <laughs> Youth.avenist.org. Yeah. So this book you can download for free, but obviously the Word of God is the best. Amen? But this is going to be really helpful just because it's got questions. You can actually meet with your, your friend in your dorm room or your friends at school or whatever and go through this. And there's discussion questions at the end. You can really grow in your knowledge of Jesus. There's another book called The Coming of the Comforter, which is my favorite book on the Holy Spirit. It was written by Leroy Froome. So Coming of the Comforter is another excellent book on the Holy Spirit. But it's really important that we begin to study a little bit more of the Holy Spirit. Um, I wanted to share with you a, a story that happened to me some years ago with my wife that really helped this come alive for me. Uh, we were hiking in Texas, here, right? We were in, uh, in Bowie, Texas, and we were walking down this road, and we saw this giant spider in the middle of the road. It's giant. My wife is terrified of spiders. So I was like, honey, don't look. Let's just go around it. And my wife was not satisfied with that. She goes, Gary, kill it. I said, honey, come on. It's a, yeah, it's a big spider. It's scary looking, but let's just walk around it. And she goes, kill it. She had that scary looking look in her eyes. And she goes, kill it. So I said, oh, great. All right. So when your wife tells you to kill something, no, I'm just joking. But it, since it was a spider, I said, okay. So I went over to the spider, and I had my cowboy boots on, and I took my foot, and I went, and it popped. And thousands of little spiders came out of its abdomen. It was a pregnant spider. It was pretty weird. It was like, it was like, it was like some of a sci-fi film or something. It was like all these thousands of spiders, hundreds of spiders come out of the abdomen of the mother who was pregnant that I had stepped on and killed. And my wife took off running, and she was really more mad at me for that. And I didn't know what I could do about it, but there was all these spiders everywhere. But uh, so she, we took off. But when I look at that story, it reminds me of the cross. Because at the cross, when they drove the spear in Christ's side and he was killed there on the cross, the devil thought he had defeated Jesus. But actually, what flowed out of his side was water and blood. Now, blood is symbolic of the pardon for our sins, right? Jesus' sins washes away our blood. But also, what came out of his side was also water. And did you know in John chapter 7, water and the Holy Spirit, water is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So what the Bible's telling us is there is that at the cross, when the devil thought he had victory over Jesus, actually flowing from his side was exactly what the church needed to rise up and defeat him. We need to rise up and defeat Jesus by remembering our sins have been washed away in his blood and receiving his power to live a life for God that honors him and leads others to the master. Everything we need is there at the cross when Christ was, was, was killed that day and he died there, that blood and that water. That's um, just a powerful, powerful thing that's really helped me. You know, um, have you guys noticed that there's been a lot of emphasis in the last several years on vampires and werewolves and zombies? And one day I was thinking about this because it seemed like everywhere I turned, vampires, you know, zombies, werewolves. I was like, what's going on with this? What is the strategy here? It's got to be something. And it struck me that vampires, zombies, and werewolves are actually Satan's plan for your life. You know, people are going to the theater and watching, right on the big screen, the devil's plan for their life. Did you know Satan has a plan for your life? He has a plan for your life. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, first of all, what are werewolves? Werewolves are human beings who become like animals. They don't care about the other person. They're just going to do whatever they can to get themselves gratified. Do we see that happening in the world today? Women being abandoned by men that just use them. 
Didn't care about the future of that woman or the child. That's an animal. It's animal characteristics. Living for yourself, gratifying yourself even though it hurts somebody else. We see that all around. The crime and the violence that happens in our world today. We're becoming like animals. What about zombies? Zombies are without God and without hope. They're going to die. There's nothing for them. There's, there's, they're, they're, they're driven by the flesh. They have no control over themselves. And according to the movies, all they're going to do is get an arrow in the head or be burned up. They're dead without God and without hope. Isn't that Satan's plan for a person's life? To, for you to die without God and without hope is his ultimate joy. Because then he could take you down because he's the ultimate terrorist. He wants to take you down with him. And be, causing you to die without, without Jesus, without the gospel message, gives him happiness. So he'll keep you having as much fun in this planet using whatever hospice plan he can come up with to kind of, even though you're dying in this world, he'll try to keep you entertained so you'll die without God and without hope like a zombie. What about a vampire? Did you, you know something really interesting? Did you know that God in his mercy, you know this, Philip, God in his mercy would not let Adam and Eve eat from the tree of life? And Ellen White says clearly why. You could check me out on this. She says because God knew if they ate from the tree of life, they would become immortal sinners. And there's one thing worse than a, than a, than, than a, than a sinner, and that's one that lives forever. <laughs> they get wickeder, more and more wicked. What is a vampire? An immortal sinner. So here you have zombies, werewolves, and vampires right before our very eyes, displaying Satan's plan for the human race. But then God comes along at the cross, and by his blood, he washes away our sins. He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit so we don't become like a vampire, or we don't become like a werewolf, or we don't become like a zombie. We become like Christ. Totally different. A totally different perspective. And God's church doesn't know what it has in the Holy Spirit. You can be filled daily with the Holy Spirit. You can become more like Jesus because God has a plan for your life, right? And that's ultimately that you become transformed in the likeness of his son. Come on. And that's Romans 9. That's straight from Romans 9. Romans 8 and Romans 9, that you can become like his son. You know, the Bible says that the righteous requirements of the law can be fully met in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Christianity is impossible without the Holy Spirit. But with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says we can fully meet the requirements of the law and live for God in his power. And we can become more like our Savior. Amen? That's why I love the Holy Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit. And this is why as missionaries, it's so important. We go out in campus ministries. We, we display the character of Jesus because we're becoming more like Christ. We, we, we display his character and how we treat others and the words that come from our mouth. Mission Caleb and one year of mission, all of these. By the way, do you love this symbol right here? You guys know what this symbol is, right? Yeah. Come on. All right, so... What this means is, this symbol right here, this is like the universal symbol for youth ministry in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I, I love this symbol. What it is is three angels with one message to all the world through youth. Is that cool or what? Three angels, one message. Who's the message? Christ our righteousness, right? And then to all the world through Adventist youth, A-Y. Is that pretty neat? God has a mission for the youth of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in these last days to be spirit-filled. And to go with the, one me- the three angels with one message to all the world. It's pretty amazing. And we're called to do that. It's very special. There's the spider I was going to show you right there, but we got that. There's the cross that we talked about. So there are just a few things I wanted to share with you about your best friend, the missionary's best friend, the Holy Spirit. 
we have a couple minutes. Is there any questions that you have? Any questions or thoughts uh, that you have? We can maybe toss them around a little bit and, and talk a little bit. Any thoughts? Maybe you've studied a little bit on the Holy Spirit and you have an idea or some, something that God's placed on your heart about the Holy Spirit. Oh, yes. Yeah, we need, thank you. I guess it's the trying to tell the difference between like our own inclinations and inclinations from God. Because sometimes, you know, the Bible says what seems right in a man, you know, could lead to destruction. But um, it's just trying to know, you know, especially when you're trying to decide to go left or right. Mm. To be able to know clearly that God wants me to go left, even though going right could just be the same thing as well. Ah, is there like some clear ways we can know when it's the Holy Spirit leading and when it's the world leading? Does it, that's a really good question. Can you guys think of any verse in the Bible that might give us some help in that? That's, what's that? If they speak not according to this word, they have no light of dawn. So making sure that it's the, whatever's speaking to you is in harmony with the Bible. Amen. That's good. Ah, by their fruits. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. The fruits of the Spirit. Right? Is that what you, where you're going with that? By their fruits, the fruits of the Spirit. By the way, in Galatians chapter 5, it's very, very clear the difference between how the Spirit works and how the flesh works. So you can see the difference. Should we look that up really quick? Let's look at that really quick. Galatians 5. And Galatians 5 just kind of really makes it clear, and it tells us to walk in the Spirit, then it, it clearly tells us the difference between your flesh and the Spirit. That is going to be Acts chapter 5, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5, um, verses 18, right, through 23. Somebody read that for us. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things of the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such as these, there is no law. <laughs> it's pretty clear. I love that. So the Lord has told us we can tell the difference between the spirit and our flesh. Any other thoughts? Any other questions or ideas? So what do we do now uh, with this information? What did they do in, in Acts chapter 1 to prepare for Acts chapter 2? By the way, I love the saying. It says, you can't have an Acts 2 experience without Acts 1 priorities. So let me ask you, what were their priorities in Acts 1 that caused the baptism of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? What were some of their priorities? What's that? Did they do some fasting maybe? Yeah, I don't know if we can see that clearly in that chapter, but maybe they did some of that. What else? They were together. They came in one accord. Thank you. That's very important. Why is coming together in one accord important? To receive the Holy Spirit. You're not fighting over each other? Yeah. What do you think they were united around? What was uniting them? They were not united, but what were they united about doing together? They, to, to do the same thing, to take it to the world. 
By the way, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible does not say we achieve the Holy Spirit. It says what? Receive. you got to think, think about that for a minute. When you come together in small groups to cry out for the Holy Spirit or when you're alone with the Holy Spirit, remember that you're not achieving it by doing that. You're not achieving the Holy Spirit by doing that. What you're doing is you're preparing your heart to receive, right? When we repent of our sins, when we make things right with other people, we're actually opening ourselves up to be filled more and more and more. So it's not achieving the Holy Spirit. That's legalism, and that's how the world lives. The world is about power that can be achieved to glorify yourself. Acts 1.8 is about power being received to glorify Christ. Difference, totally different power, right? But it's the greatest power. In fact, the Bible promises that that power, not the power of the world, but that power will finish the work. And that's the power we need to think. To, to, to have. It's not the power that we achieve, but the one we receive, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Any other thoughts? What else did they do in Acts 1? They came together in one accord. We got that. They prayed. Wow. Did you see they've had, they had more people meeting this morning, I think, than they've ever had for, uh, at GYC. I think there was well over 800 or eight or 900 people young people that came together and prayed this morning. Dude, that's going to shake things up. <laughs> and if you just get together with your friends at your church or in your dorm room, whatever else, and start praying for the Holy Spirit, I promise you the Holy Spirit will show up. I promise you. Um, how many of you were here when I talked about uh, waves and surfing? I'm sorry to repeat myself on this. You might have to repeat myself really quickly. If you, if you pray, God will create opportunities for ministry. You just need to be ready for them. They will come. I promise you. Things will happen in your own life, personal life. You'll begin to experience some uh, supernatural things in your own character and in your own life as you begin to pray for the Holy Spirit. He will show up. When you go and you watch surfers out surfing, you notice that none of them go out there and try to create waves. None of them do. They wait for the waves, what? That God sends, right? When you pray, you're doing the same thing. You're getting ready to receive a wave. And God will send a wave. And it might come in a direction you're not ready for it, but there's going to come a wave. You just have to be ready for it. And what I mean by a wave is an opportunity for ministry in your community, opportunity for ministry in your country, whatever God decides to do, but he'll send a wave. The question is, will the wave ride you or will you ride the wave? God is always sending waves into churches that pray. The problem is many churches that are praying for the Holy Spirit, when he comes, they're not ready for it, and so they get knocked over by the wave. They're just not ready. They're praying, oh, Lord, do something mighty in our church. And so he starts doing it, and then they don't like the person God chose. Or they don't like the method God's using. And so they resist it, even though God's sending a wave. And you've got to remember, when you're praying for God to do something, guess what? He's going to do it. And, and one of the beautiful things about being a Christian, a spirit-filled Christian, is that you start learning how to ride the waves God sends. And it takes some time, but eventually you begin to ride those waves, and that's when you see church growth begin to happen, small groups begin to grow, people's lives begin to change, because they begin to cooperate with God's Spirit, and they learn to see when God is working. Pretty cool stuff. Yes, my brother. How can you be ready for that? Oh, good question. Anybody want to help him with that? How, how was the early church ready? How did the early church get itself ready for that Pentecost experience? What were they doing? They weren't achieving. They were receiving. But how were they doing that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Amen.
Amen. Yes, I, I, I think that the answer to your question, my friend, is that we, we prepare ourselves through prayer and asking the Lord to, to make us ready and emptying self, beginning to confess our sins and prepare our hearts for what God's about ready to do in our life. I want to say GYC in closing, because I think I'm almost out of time here. I've got three minutes. Um, I want to say to you, remember that not only will wonderful things begin to happen, but you're also going to tick off the devil. When the Holy Spirit begins to work, remember, people are going to start mocking you like they did in Acts chapter 2. They mocked them, right? And it, it, got, it escalated. The more the Spirit begins to work, the more the devil freaks out. He tries to stop it, but he's already lost at this point. He's dead. But the, the, the temptation will be for God's churches to, oh, we better slow it down. No, no, no. Move forward. Let God move forward. But um, remember, they mocked them. They'll call you a fanatic. They'll mock you. They'll say, you're drunk. You're a fanatic. You're Pentecostal. You're not even an Adventist. You're a Pentecostal. Let me tell you something. You're more an Adventist when you're spirit-filled. Because this is a spirit-filled church. This church was designed to finish the work. We were called, given the last message to give into the world. Our church was given the most solemn message ever given to mortals. This church is designed to be spirit-filled. And the devil works really hard to get us to sabotage that before it happens. But when it happens, there will come a time when the Lord will decide to pour out his spirit on those who are crying out for the Holy Spirit. We just got to get serious about it. That's why we're doing this GH20 thing, because we're trying to build awareness for the fact that we are right at the cusp of the end of the world, and we've been given an amazing promise. And if young people would come together, obviously the 20 minutes is just to, just to get the, prime the pump, but the idea is that we start focusing on this incredible gift, this incredible person made possible through the cross, and his name is the Holy Spirit, right? And uh, so we've been very blessed to have him. All right, my friends, I've had a wonderful time talking to you. Now I'm just going to sleep for like six hours. No, I'm just kidding. But I've had a wonderful time with you all. Let's have a word of prayer. I'm going to ask Pastor Philip to uh, give us, do us the honors. Put a hand on someone next to you, would you? Amen. If you are not around someone, put a hand on someone next to you. The Holy Spirit flows through the blessing of the hands as the early church did. Hmm. Heavenly Father, we come before you eager to see your hand work through each one of us. God, I'm praying over every young person in this room, Jesus, you have not called us to simply mediocrity in faith, but Lord, you've called us to boldness and to great things. And so, Father, I pray that we would each remember that this is just the beginning. Father, I pray that you would wipe every tear from every young person's eyes here who is crying inside because they felt like they've been a weak person of faith. Uh, wipe every tear of every young person here who's been put off to the side. You're too young. You're not ready. Just wait a little bit longer. Lord, I pray that you would push us out in faith to do what we are called to do. God, you've given each young person here a dream. Father, I pray that we would unleash your willing life through the Holy Spirit through each one of us. God, I pray an anointing over the people in this room, Holy Spirit, enter into us. Let us not leave this place the same. Lord, thank you for the ministry of Pastor Gary. God, I pray for the General Conference uh, Youth Ministry Department. Father, I pray that their efforts and mission would truly go forth in a bold way the next few years. God, thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name, we all say amen. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, 
seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.